says very clearly that it glorifies God when we produce fruit. That's the expectation. If, we're, if we stay connected to Jesus, we will produce fruit. We've said fruit is results. It's uh, whatever you want to call it. It's um, change, transformation, whatever words you want to use. It's, it's results. It's something there that you can see. It's a result of God having worked through your life. And for the past several weeks, we've used the parable of the sower kind of as a picture for our hearts. And we've said that a big thing is the condition of our heart and what that does in terms of producing fruit. And so we had this soil that was hard. See, it's got that thing on there. And the seed, it's still not doing anything. It's been three or four weeks, and the seed is not producing anything at all. And, you know, it's it's never going to. The seed, This seed is never going to produce anything because it can't take root in the soil. That's not what we're looking for. And we said there's shallow soil. This soil has rocks in it, and it produces fruit, but it's temporary. The hard soil doesn't produce anything. This shallow soil produces some fruit, but it's temporary. You can see there's stuff coming up. You can't see this from where you're sitting, but the roots are all, they're all coming down the side of the glass. They can't get into the dirt because there's rocks in the way. And Jesus says, when heat comes, when persecution comes or oppression comes, all of this is going to go away. And we said for us, that's if we have shallow hearts, if our hearts aren't deeply, we don't have deep roots in the Lord, we might produce some fruit initially, but it'll be temporary. We won't make it till the end. Paul says that it's the people who stand firm to the end who are saved. It's eternal fruit. Shallow roots don't get you there. You're, you're not deep enough in the Lord. When tough times come, and they will, you'll fade away. Jesus also talked about crowded soil. You can see this in there. This has got a bunch of weeds. I think this is good, and I think this is good. And maybe this, the rest of this is just junk. It's weeds. And we said this was crowded soil. And there will be some fruit produced here. It just won't be very much. It gets choked out. It gets crowded out. You see how these things are having to grow to get away from all of these weeds. And I said, I thought this was a lot of us. We, we just got a lot of stuff going on in our life and in our hearts. And there's, there's something in there that the Lord wants to do. And we know that, but it just gets choked out. And Jesus, when he identifies these things, they're not even necessarily sinful things. They're just things. They're things that choke out what he wants to do. And so this produces a little bit of fruit. And then we said, finally, there's good soil, which produces a good crop. And Jesus says it's 30, 60, 100 times. So we'll see how this goes. And we said, this is what we want to be. We want to be receptive to what God wants to do. We want to have deep roots and we want to produce an abundant crop. So that's the parable of the sower, we've also been looking at this story in Mark 4. This is verse 26. I'll start reading it. Um, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. This is In my Bible, it says this is the parable of the growing seed. I don't know if you have a little subtitle. For yours, but you can kind of hold both of these parables. They they complement one another. They can seem to pull against one another. They actually complement. The parable of the sower talks about how important the dirt is. How important the dirt is. That's what we just looked about, looked at to producing fruit. The parable of the growing seed talks about how important the seed is. And you need both. If you've got great dirt, so if we have great dirt right here, and so that's, we said that's our heart, and you can have a great heart and you can have great dirt, but if there's no seed in there, it doesn't produce anything. It's just great dirt. Maybe it makes good mud, but it will never produce any fruit because there's no seed in there, and the life is in the seed. And the same thing is true if you've got 
these seeds that are wonderful and they're supposed to produce these beautiful flowers and all of that, if, if, if there's no dirt, they're useless. You've got to have both the dirt and the seed. You can't have one without the other. They complement one another. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. What Paul is saying there is, what God has worked in you, you need to work out in your life. God is working in you things, and you, you we need to work those things out into our life. It's the same thing with the dirt or the soil and the seeds. God has planted stuff in us, and our responsibility is to work that stuff out into our life. That's why it's so important, what we've said all along, is that we do something. God, we have this deal, and God's expectation is that we do it. As long as it just stays up here in your brain or in here in your heart, it doesn't. there's nothing there. It's just an idea. And God doesn't live in the world of ideas. He lives in reality. He doesn't live in our dream world. And if we're not actively engaging, if we're not working things out, we said when we looked at Joseph, then there's nothing for God to give success to. We're not giving him anything to work with. There's no material. He, this is where he lives in reality. It's not just in the world of our thoughts and our ideas. And if that's where our deal stays, he's, we've got nothing. It's, it's a seed just laying on the... There's nothing he can do with it. And that's also why it's so important for us to maintain the condition of the soil, maintain our heart to remain receptive to the Lord. You can have a great seed, you can know your deal, and you can be going for it, but if the dirt is bad, if it's crowded or if it's shallow or whatever, you're not going to produce fruit. You've got to have both this good dirt and this good seed. And when you put those two things together, according to both of these parables, you'll get a good crop. And that's what we want. We want fruit that will last. We're not looking just to make a splash and then fade away. We're not looking just to go through life with our head down. We want to see fruit, change, transformation, results, whatever you want to say, awake. We want to see that in our life. God working through us, producing those things. I think that's what he wants to do. This morning I want to look real quickly and see, are there any things, any things that we can do to encourage this seed to grow? This parable in Mark 4 makes it sound like it doesn't matter what you do. It says whether the guy's awake or asleep, night or day, it doesn't matter. The seed grows. And so the question for us is, well, then do we have to do anything? Once we say, you know what, I'm, I'm working on the soil of my heart and it's pretty good and I know what my deal is and it's planted in there, is there anything else that we have to do or is it just going to happen? Is God just going to make this thing grow? If you were here last week, we looked at this idea of development. We kind of said these are the phases up here on the left. These are the phases, or you're right, these are the phases of growth. You know, we, we plant. That's the first thing we talked about, getting this deal into our hearts. And then we said development. And I said that's where most people get hung up. That's when there's a lot of stuff happening, but it's all happening under the ground. That's where God is giving you the skills and knowledge you need to accomplish your deal. And more importantly than that, he's forming your character so that you don't crash and burn at some point. Ultimately, that's God's major concern. He's much more concerned with our character than what we produce. Romans 8.29 says God has predestined us to be conformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus. So that is the goal that he is relentlessly pursuing. And when we, when we forget that, that's when things kind of go sideways for us. When we forget that what God ultimately is trying to do is make us into a particular type of person, and we start thinking too much about what it is that we're producing or what it is that we're doing or what it is that's going on in our life, we can miss him completely. 
we don't have time to talk about that. You can just kind of keep that tucked away. That's what we said last week is the character. You can't outrun your character. It's going to catch up with you. If the foundation is shaky, eventually the whole thing comes crashing down. So God, again, is relentlessly committed to and relentlessly pursuing your, my, conforming us into the image of Jesus. That's what he's after this heart of ours and making it look as much like Jesus as he can. That's his number one goal and his number one priority. So that's the development. And so now we're looking at this idea of grow. And again, is there anything that we need to do or do we, does it not matter? The Bible says whether the guy's awake or asleep, this thing grows. I actually think there are some things that we can do to help this deal grow in our life. These plants here, it's been raining for two days. It's raining right now. Maybe it's going to snow. Who knows? Does none of that, does any of that going on out there help this? No. This is inside. Unless we have a big leak somewhere, all of that going on out there doesn't do anything for the plant in this space. It doesn't help it at all. This plant needs water to grow. It's raining like crazy outside, but it's not helping this guy unless Kim takes it outside and puts it in a position to receive water. It's got to get wet. And that's the same thing that's true for us. We've got to have this good soil and we've got to have this good seed, but it's got to get wet also. There's got to be rain or the seed, it doesn't work. The seed will not develop, it will not grow, and the ground's just going to get hard and dusty. You've got to have water. You know that. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. How do we position ourselves to get wet? How do we position ourselves so that the rain of God will fall in our lives and cause this deal to grow? We don't make it happen, but we can position ourselves to get wet. Just like we can't make that flower grow, but we can position it so it can. We can put it in the sunlight and we can water it. We can put it under the water. And the same thing is true for us. We've got to position ourselves to receive the water from the Lord. And that that water is his grace. It's his activity in our life. If, If we cut that part off, if we just stay in here and we're never outside where the rain can fall on us, it doesn't work. The seed's just going to sit there in the ground. And you can have this awesome dirt that's fertilized and amended and blah, 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 and this awesome seed, and you can, it's never going to produce anything unless it gets wet. And God's the one that causes it to rain. And we, our job is just to position ourselves to receive the rain. I think there's three things that we can do, and these are, this is not inspirational. This is just nitty gritty practical things. Three things that you can do to position yourself to receive this rain. You can pray, you can fast, and you can give. Pray, fasting, and giving. Um, I think I put those, I was looking through those cards today and this morning and thinking about how does praying or fasting or giving tie into, there was one card that said that she wanted to be an encourager, I'm assuming it's a woman based on the handwriting, she wanted to, or a very feminine man, she wanted to be an encourager (laughs) to her students, which is fine if that's you, you know, so... This person wanted to be an encourager to his or her students. What does fasting have to do with that? Someone else has said to use construction to bless other people. What does giving have to do with that? I think a lot of us can see how prayer ties into our deal. Prayer is when we invite God into our life. And so we can see that. Like, get why I need to pray, but why these other things? How does that tie directly into me producing, to fruit being produced in my life? How does that tie into my deal? At all. And I don't necessarily think it's a direct tie-in. 
I think it's, it puts you outside so that the rain of God can fall in your life. And then the seed will grow. You've got to get wet. And the Bible teaches that prayer and fasting and giving are things that allow you to get wet. They put you in a position to receive the rain of God. Now, some of you, this is, when guys like me talk about giving, folks can get defensive because you're waiting on me to ask you to give. And so you're not going to listen to anything else I say because you're just waiting for the ask. And it doesn't matter what, you, you, you don't care. I'm going to talk about how giving is good for your spiritual life and good for your fine. You don't care about any of that. All you want to know is what are you going to ask me for and can I get out of it? So I'm going to tell you right now I'm going to ask you for money at the end. I'm going to ask you to give, but it won't cost you anything. So you can just, I'm going to ask you to give. It's not going to cost you anything. So just relax and let's see what we've got. You might not remember this, but back in the fall, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. And we were talking about, we looked at it for a long time. And there's a section in chapter 6, Matthew 6, from verses 1 to 18. Jesus talks about three things. He calls them acts of righteousness. And they are prayer and giving and fasting. And it's interesting, we just started Lent. And the three things that historically Christians have focused on during Lent are prayer and giving and fasting. So that's a nice little way those things lined up for us. So anyway, Jesus is talking about these three things. And what he's saying to his people is, you've got to do these things. And if you do them to the Lord, not just so other people can see them, if you do them so God sees them, he will reward you. So that's a little principle there. If you do these things so God can see them, he will reward you. That's how I can say, if you will do these things, you'll bear fruit. God will reward you for doing these things with the right heart. But there's just one little word I want to pick on, pick up on. When he introduces each one of those acts of righteousness, prayer, giving, and fasting, he says when. When you pray, when you give, and when you fast. He doesn't say if. If he said if, the implication would be we get to choose. It's optional for us. If implies choice. If you give, if you pray, if you fast, that means, well, if you do, and this is what you do, but if you don't, whatever. He says when. The implication of when is you will be doing these things. When you are doing these things, this is how I want you to behave. makes all the difference in the world. He says when, and he's talking to his people. So if you consider yourself one of his people, you need to strongly consider where giving, praying, and fasting fit into your life because his expectation is you'll be doing those things because he says when, not just if. So I don't want to dig down in too much into the what's underneath all of that, and we don't need to talk about... I'm not, I don't want to get into a lot of the theory for giving, praying, or fasting. I think a lot of that can bog us down. All you need to know is Jesus expects you to do it, the Father will reward you for doing it. It's one of the ways that you put yourself outside, or three of the ways you put yourself outside. If for some reason you're not doing one of those three things, the question would be why. The assumption is that you are. And if you're not, then why aren't you? What I would say you're, you're doing, if that's the case, is you're, pulling your, you're, you're keeping the rain from falling in your life on some way. You're, you're inside and you need to be outside. You, You've got an umbrella. You don't need the umbrella. You're, you're preventing God's grace from falling in your life in some way if you're not regularly doing all three of those things. Real quick, here's some ways you can jump on. Prayer. We pray here every Tuesday night at 7.30. Last week, uh, we had um, some folks come, and what we did was we, we just let people write down what's the area of your life where you want to see fruit. And they took their card and they sat it in a chair next to them, and then we prayed. Nothing heavy. We prayed 
quietly behind, like it was, it was as easy as it could be. And we're going to do that this Tuesday, and we're going to do that next Tuesday, and we're going to do it the Tuesday after that, we're going to do it the Tuesday after that. Every Tuesday between now and Easter, we're going to take some time. If there's an area in your life where you want to see fruit, where you want to see results, you want to see change, you want to see transfer, whatever, just come. And all you have to do is write down that area as generally or specifically as you feel comfortable on a note card and sit down. And somebody will pray for you. It, it can't be easier than that. That's one of the ways that you can pray and be prayed for. It puts you out in the rain. I talked to a girl at our church about uh, six or eight weeks ago, and there's something in her life that she really wants to see happen. There's this area where she's, I want to see this. And she said that it was getting to the point that she was thinking about it so much it was bothering her. She wanted to see this thing happen in her life so much it was bothering her, but she still felt like it was an area where she needed prayer. Maybe that's you. You don't want to come down and write this thing on the card because you've written it on the card for three years, and you're tired of it. You're tired of praying for the same thing. What you might want to do is hook up with somebody else. And what this girl did is she hooked up with another woman in the church, and they just traded requests. So every time girl number one thought about her thing, she prayed for girl number two's thing. And every time girl number two thought about her thing, she prayed for girl number one's thing. And so it took this swirling of I'm always thinking about this and turned it towards somebody else. She didn't pray for her thing. I think they did. I don't know if they did it for a week or two weeks or however long they did it. But for a week, at, at least, every time girl number one thought about this area in her life that was frustrating and an area where she wanted to see God work, she just directed those prayers to somebody else. And maybe you need to do that. Maybe you're tired of praying for yourself about the same thing but you could direct that energy to somebody else. Do it. Easy. Set your alarm five minutes earlier tomorrow. It's only five. It's not going to make a difference. It's five minutes. Set your alarm for five minutes earlier tomorrow, and when you wake up, pray until your alarm normally goes off. That's it. Simple. It's five minutes. If you're not, this is the thing for me with prayer. Prayer is inviting God into your life. If you're not inviting God into your life, I don't mean to say you're stupid, but it's really stupid. The Bible says he's the source of all good things. So if you're interested at all in any good thing, you need to be inviting him into your life. If you're not, okay. But if you want something good in your life, the Bible says God's the source of all of that. So you got to ask him. You don't have to pray for long. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't matter if you stutter or you say um or you say and or you repeat. None of that matters. It just matters that you ask. Many of you are parents. Do you really care how your kids ask? Just ask. As they grow, yeah, they get better at it. Same thing with us. As we grow, we'll get better at it. But at the beginning, just ask. And that's how God is. So take a few minutes and ask. If you don't know what to ask, start with the word help. Help me and then fill in the blank. It's a perfect prayer. It doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be long or eloquent. It doesn't have to be something that you want announced over the loudspeaker. It's just a, if you know how to talk, you know how to pray. Because that's all you're doing. So do it. Just do it. The second is fasting. We talked about this last week. I actually learned a lot about Lent. There was a smarty pants in the church that emailed me all of the areas where I messed up on Lent. So, and he was right about all these things. And I'm actually really glad he did. So Lent is 40 days, but it's not really 40 days. It when the, the guys that kind of, when Lent started, started happening in the Middle Ages, a little earlier than that, the church par- wanted to, to parallel with Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. You can read about that in Mark 4, I think it's Luke 3, 
uh, Matthew 4, excuse me, Luke 3, and I think it's in, in Mark 1. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness before he really started his public ministry. And during that 40 days, he fasted. That's when he was tempted by Satan. And so the, the, the early church said, you know what, that's what Lent is going to parallel. It's going to parallel these 40 days in the desert where we're preparing for Easter. So it's kind of a time of, of introspection and confession and penance and all of these type of things going on. And what went with that was prayer and fasting and giving as ways of kind of cleaning up your life. But Sunday was always a celebration day. You don't fast on Sunday. Sunday is always a mini resurrection. It's a celebration day. So in order to get the 40 days, they, they took out the Sundays. They had to back it up to Ash Wednesday. So that's kind of where that, so it is 40 days in terms of fasting, but it's not 40 days in the calendar. And for those of you who are fasting, that means Sundays are free. Now, if you're drinking, if you're giving up coffee, I don't know if I would recommend drinking coffee or you're going to get the headache again tomorrow when you get so. I will leave that up to you, but I'm taking advantage of it. So I hadn't eaten anything good in a while. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to um, Sunday. So what I would say with fasting, again, for Lent, what we've said is it's just fast something. Fasting is not eating some food. And you can do it a lot of different ways. You can give up a food. You can give up a food group. I've given up meat. Dairy and sweets, which is all I eat. So <laughs> pick a food. Like my, my wife, she's pregnant. She can't give up that much stuff, so she's given up chocolate and a few other things that she's doing. You can give up a food or a food group. You can skip a meal. I'm not going to eat breakfast. I'm not going to eat lunch, whatever. You can skip a day. I'm not going to eat on Monday or I'm not going to eat for three days this week. It doesn't matter how you do it. I would just encourage you to fast. Take some time during this Lent season and skip food. If you're, and again, what we said last week is take one step farther than you think you can go. If you know it's not a big deal for you to give up green vegetables, leafy greens, then give up something else that is a stretch for you. I think you want to think about it. That's kind of how I think about fasting. It should make you somewhat uncomfortable. You should have to think about what you're eating. And if you haven't, then you haven't given up something that was really integral to who you are or to how you eat. So you probably haven't, you haven't hit it yet. And I would say find that and do it. And when you fast, and you most likely, if you're like me, will be miserable on the days that you're doing it, it gets better. But at the beginning, it's not fun. That's okay. It's part of this thing of it's putting me in the rain. And I don't know how not eating helps me do my deal at all. It doesn't make sense to me, and I don't think there's a direct connection. I think what God could have said instead of fasting was stand on one leg or hop up and down. or He he could have said anything, but for some reason or other, he chose fasting as a thing. He chose it as a, a means of grace. It's a channel of his grace coming to us, and when you do it, it puts you outside in the rain. And most likely, you won't feel it the day that you're doing it. You'll feel worse on the day that you're doing it than any other day. You'll think about food more on that day than you will any other day. You'll never realize how much your life centers around coffee or chocolate or whatever it is that you've given up. And you'll think, this is one of the most unholy things I've ever done. I can't even pray because I have a pounding headache or I'm hungry or whatever. But for some reason, and I don't get why, just because he said so, it puts you in the rain. And it's one of those things I think oftentimes it's not until you look back that you realize he's done things. He's done something that rain has fallen in your life somehow because you chose to do this thing. 
So I'd encourage you to do it. And I would, no matter what your particular dietary restrictions, there's something that you can give up, I think. I'm not a doctor, but I would imagine no matter what your dietary restrictions are, there's something that you can do to, to fast. And it's not, it's not comparison. Someone's not better than you because they're going all day without eating and you're just skipping breakfast. They're not more spiritual than you. It's not about, it's just like no one's more spiritual than you because they prayed for 10 minutes and you prayed for five. You just need to do what you think the Lord is leading you to do. And if he's not leading you to do anything, I'd ask again. So, fasting. And the last thing is giving. And this is the tricky one for a lot of us. Fat, prayer takes time. Fasting is uncomfortable. Giving costs money and we don't like to give it, honestly. Giving is difficult for a lot of us. We look and see, what do I have left over? That's what I'm going to give. That's not really what's going on here. That's not really the heart of giving in the Bible. We don't have time to get into all of the specifics of what it means to give as a follower of Jesus. I'll just say this. You should be giving, period. Particularly, you should be giving to those who need it. That was the focus during Lent. This, in, the Beatit- in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you give to the needy, and that was really the push during Lent, was to give to the needy. They called it almsgiving. It was giving to the poor. Now, some of you say, I, I'm the poor. <laughs> you know, what do you want from me? And what we've done is we want to make it as easy as possible for you to give. So we've got some, Kim, we've got some buckets. And we're going to pass these buckets out. And in these buckets are envelopes. And in those envelopes are money. And I want you to take an envelope, everybody to take an envelope, whether you're part of this church or not. If you're here this morning, I want you to grab an envelope. Just grab one, but I want you to grab or drop them all. So <laughs> Les is trying to pay his bills over there. So, <laughs> so grab an envelope. And there's much, they're, they're all the same. I think there's $30. There's 25 or $30 in each envelope. Couples each take one. Each individual to grab an envelope of a couple in our church in December uh, said they wanted to make a year-end gift, and they wanted their gift to help as many people as possible. And the idea that they had was to give the money to the church, so the church meaning the people, so that the people could give it away. And that's what we're going to do. So you've got an envelope of money, and what I want you to do is I want you to give it away. I want you to give the money in there to somebody else. I would love it to be someone who's not a part of this church, for it to actually be someone on the outside And I would love for you to give the money in a way that brings some attention to Jesus. You don't have to lead them to Christ when you give them money, but it can be as simple as God loves you and this is an expression of that. Some way that you can give that money so that it's an expression, it it points to the Lord in some way. And the only other thing that this couple asked was that they would know what was going on. So as you give the money away, if you just email Kim two lines and tell her what you did with it. Uh, Her email's in the... It's on the little um, weekly thing that we send out. If you just email Kim with a real brief thing of what you did. Families, you can combine, you know, if y'all had all your kids in here, y'all would be loaded. So you would get, y'all could combine all of that money. Or you can do it separately. You can give it to one person. I don't care what you do with it. My only thing is to say, give it away. During, take, between now and Easter, just ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with this? It doesn't, again, it's not costing you anything. It's free money. Just give it to someone, preferably someone who's outside of Stonebridge, and do it in a way that makes them at least think about God. Nothing manipulative, but that would be the deal. If you'll pray, if you'll give, if you'll fast, what, you're just putting yourself in the rain 
And that's what you need. That's when you'll see fruit. And there might not be a direct connection. I think often there's not a direct connection between the things that the Lord is asking us to do and what he wants to do in our life. And I think that's because we can't make it happen by direct effort. It's all, it's indirect. What is not, again, what does not eating have to do with encouraging my students? Nothing at all other than it puts me in the rain. And it allows God to cause things to grow in me. And then I can encourage my students out of what he's doing in my heart. So between now and Easter, it's however many days that is, 30-something days-ish. Do these things. Just try it. Between now, pray. I would encourage you to pray at least five days a week. I'd say every day, but that's a lot. Try five days a week. Try to come to prayer at least one Tuesday night. It's not so we have numbers. It's because it'll be good. Try to come to Tuesday to prayer one Tuesday night. Look for one thing that you can fast. At least give up one thing or one day or one meal, one area where you can fast and give away the money in this envelope and see what the Lord does. See if you see any difference in your life, if, if there's any grace that you are receiving that you would not have otherwise received. We're going to close with communion this morning. The way we're going to do that, uh, we'll have two teams. Uh, if you're serving communion, if you come up, we're going to have two teams and... Um, They'll, one person will hold a cup of juice and one person's going to have a basket with these crackers in it. Grab a cracker, dip it in the juice, and then eat it. So, crackers first. Cracker, grab, dip, eat. So, communion to me is another one of those ways of putting ourselves in the rain. And it doesn't make sense how a cracker, eating a cracker in grape juice does anything for us spiritually. But it does. Jesus talks about it and Paul talks about it. There's something about Communion. It's one of these, again, I think God often works indirectly and discreetly. It's, it's hidden. And communion is one of the ways that he does that. I don't get how, and I don't know if it matters how. I think it just matters that. So my encouragement to you would be, just like with giving, just like with praying, just like with fasting, is to take communion expecting God to do something in your life. I've often wondered... If you read through the Bible, there's some amazing things that happen. Parting the Red Sea. That doesn't happen every day. Read through Exodus and these clouds of fire and mountains shaking and it, the plagues. I don't. Stuff doesn't happen normally. Read the New Testament, what Jesus did. Blind people seeing and dead people being raised. Like, who does that? When did dead people come back to life? feeding 5,000 people with one dude's lunch. Like, how does that... I don't get that stuff. And I read it, and I think, how could anybody not follow Jesus after... Like, how can you witness that and still say no? How does that happen? How do you see a, a lake parting so 2 million people can walk across it and say no? Like, I don't understand that. But I think God often works in ways that are... They're hidden, and they're discre- even when he does things that are right out in front of us, it's still it's indirect, and it's, it's hidden in some way. He always leaves room for people to say no. God's in a little bit of a dilemma, if I can say that. His desire is for all of us, everyone he's created, to come into a relationship with him. That's what he wants. He created you to be with him. That's your number one purpose in life, is to be in a life-giving relationship with Jesus. That's it. If you get that, then you're a long way towards what God puts you on this planet for. And if you don't, it doesn't matter what else you do, you've missed it. 
Jesus says, what good does it do to gain everything and forfeit your soul? That's what I'm talking about. That's it. Number one is to move into a life-giving relationship with God. But in order for a relationship to be genuine, it has to be freely entered into. Yes doesn't mean anything if you can't say no. Love isn't love if it's coerced. So somehow this God who is incredibly awesome has to invite us into a relationship with him in a way that we can still say no. Doesn't make, that's hard to me. And so I think he chooses to work in ways, if you want to see him, you can see him. And if you don't, you won't. You can always write it off. It's a fluke, it's a coincidence, it's just the way the wind blew, whatever. He wasn't really dead. You can come up with all kinds of reasons for why things happen if you don't want to see the Lord. But if you do, there's all kinds. I have a three-year-old, and for some reason his new thing is, what's the proof for God? I don't know where he hears that. We don't talk about that. We don't do apologetics at the dinner table. I don't know why he's asking. He asks our other two kids, what's the proof for God? And they're going, Dad? And I just, we, we fumble through that. So, there is proof for God if you have eyes to see. And if you don't, you'll never see him. And, and that's the way he set it up. He wants everyone to say yes to him. But you can't say yes is meaningless if you can't say no. So for some, he gives us enough space that we can say no, that we can reject, that we can say that's not really the Lord. That's just a fluke. That's coincidence. That's just the way things happen. That's just the way you, whatever. He gives us that room. And I think a lot of what we're talking about with prayer, with giving, with fasting, with communion, it's these indirect ways that God works. It puts you out in the rain. And you might not see a direct tie-in to what's going on in your life. How does not eating a cheeseburger help me? How does that get me married? How does that get me a kid? How does that get me a better job? It doesn't necessarily get you any of that stuff. It puts you in the rain. And the grace of God will fall in your life. And those things will begin to happen. So with all of those, you have to do them with eyes that can see. If you just do them because I told you to, it's not going to help. If you do them out of guilt, it's not going to help. You need to do them with eyes of faith. You can see the Red Sea parting and still say God does not exist if you're not willing to see him in that event. So as we come forward and take communion, I'd encourage you, do it with eyes to see. Recognize this is a remembrance of what Jesus did for us. That song that we sang, Jesus paid it all. That's what this is about. Broken body, poured out blood, so that we can do the number one thing, which is enter into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Y'all can stand. You don't have to come forward in any particular order.